God, we thank you that you are a God who restores sight, who helps us to see things that we can't see. Lord, we pray that these scriptures this morning would show us something new about who you are, about who we are, and how we can follow you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Up, step down. All right. There we go. Uh, okay, so um, we're continuing a series that we're doing right now in the book of Hebrews. And I think one way to think about this passage that we're reading, that we read this week in, in Hebrews, is to be thinking about it in terms of a call towards maturity. Um, and I realized as I was meditating on the passage some this week, I haven't just been thinking about maturity for this week. I've actually been thinking about what does it mean to be mature for a number of weeks in two areas of my life, in my personal life and also in kind of my church life in the context of the ministry that I'm doing. So personally speaking, we are in the midst of potty training in the Ishii household. So that's been on our mind is how do we help our daughter move to this next step of human maturity where she can use the potty by herself. She can have some level of independence with that. And I think any parent or grandparent knows, right, you can't really do potty training halfway, right? You're, it's either all or nothing. And you got to learn, you got to practice. And, and so a lot of our life for the past month or so has been about the potty. We've been, you know, we've got the special potty training gear. Our daughter, she picked out a Minnie Mouse little seat that goes on, on the big potty because that's what she wanted. And if that's going to help her go potty, thank you, Minnie Mouse. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've got books. We have songs that we sing. She gets a special prize when she uses the potty successfully. Right now, she's really, she wants either sour candy or a little chocolate. So that's, those are the two things on offer, and she gets very excited about it. Even when she's using the potty, she knows that's what happens next. And so, like I mentioned, there's a lot of time and energy and conversation being invested in this process of, of going potty. And one of the titles of the books that we've been reading with her, so she is learn, as she's learning about how to go potty on her own, I thought, as I was thinking about the title, I was like, hmm, I think there's even something there spiritually. The title of the book is called Diapers Aren't Forever, right? And it's helping her to think in her mind, right? Because all she's known in her life so far is diapers. Diapers, as far as she knows, are forever. But we're, we're hitting a transition point, right? Where she's learning that maybe diapers aren't forever. There's a, another way, a better way, a more mature way of going potty. And, I, and we as her parents, right, we would be failing her if we weren't helping her take this next step that she needs to be taking towards maturity. Um, the second area I've been thinking about um, maturity has been related to some of my responsibilities here at the church, specifically thinking about, and some of you have maybe heard me talking about this the last couple of weeks, is thinking about what does our confirmation process look like for the students in our church? We're, we're starting a new confirmation process. It's the first one I've kind of really been in charge, in, in charge of in my time here at the church of, in thinking about how do we disciple our student, students towards that maturity. Um, we're beginning in eighth grade and up and opening it up and saying, what does it look like for the teenagers in our midst to take on a more mature faith? 
And for those of you who might be newer to the Anglican tradition, confirmation is essentially just an opportunity for a public and personal profession of faith for someone to say that I'm following Jesus, right? And this is related to the fact that we baptize as infants. Clearly, an infant cannot speak for themselves, right? But what happens in the baptismal service? We're actually going to see a baptism of an infant in a couple weeks. Pay attention to some of these details. The parents, on behalf of the child, right, who can't even speak in this instance, say, we will do our very best with the help of God and with the help of the whole church community to commit to raising our child in the way of Jesus. And so confirmation is a continuation of that journey, right? That's the next step of the child has been raised in that environment, but the child still needs to be able to say for themselves, I want to follow Jesus. Here's how I'm going to do that. And so what happens, right, during this confirmation service is the bishop comes and he prays a special prayer of blessing and he literally puts his hands on the confirmands during this process. And I think the prayer that the bishop prays, it's a beautiful prayer. It's not just any prayer, but it's a prayer for daily increase in the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of this person. So that more and more every day, they would mature in their ability to follow Jesus. They would know how to take these small steps to living out their faith. A metaphor that we've been using in our confirmation class, we're on week two tonight, so it's not too late to join if you have a teenager, eighth grader up that wants to be a part of this process. But a metaphor that we've been using to talk about confirmation is something I've, I've borrowed from another youth pastor friend of mine. He talks about how confirmation is like a comma. It's a transition point. Is that a little, a little bit better? I feel like I was kind of cutting in and out. All right, so confirmation, it's a comma. It's a transition point, right? It's not the end. The end would be a period. But it's a transition point, right? And if we think about English grammar for a second, what happens with a comma, right? It's just essentially saying that the things in front of the comma, they still matter towards whatever's following the comma. But, right, what do we even do when we speak or read out loud when we see a comma? We pause. So this confirmation process is a chance for us to pause and say, what does this next step into maturity look like? So both of these things in mind, I can't but help to see a call to maturity in the beginning of chapter 6 in our Hebrews passage as framing my sermon today. Let me read that again from, chap from verse 1 in chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. A couple weeks ago, Father Robert, he highlighted the phrase, consider Jesus, earlier in chapter 3 of Hebrews, right? Consider Jesus. But that's just the first step, right? We don't stop by just considering Jesus. We have to follow that through. We have to make commitments to actually follow Jesus. I'm sure all of us, right, maybe even this past week, we, we've considered something, we've thought about it, but we haven't necessarily followed through in it for whatever reason. Maybe it didn't make sense that we needed to do something, right? Just considering something isn't enough. It's the first step 
but we need follow-through that's attached to that. I think to truly consider Jesus, it means that we're on the beginning of this journey, this process of following Jesus in every aspect of our lives. So I think about what does that look like as I've been pondering what does confirmation look like for our teenagers. Something that's been helpful for me to remember as I'm thinking about it is, what's, what's the goal? What does this actually look like? What does it mean to be mature? Well, thankfully, our, our writer of Hebrews, I think, gives us a, a good definition of maturity. Look at chapter 5, verse 14. It writes, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, right? Constant practice in this discernment to discern good from evil. That's a mark of maturity. Or to put it another way, it's living a life that reflects the kingdom of God seen in Jesus' example and teaching and saying, here's what that looks like. How do I then live that out in my own words and in my own actions? So let's dig in a little bit more and see what else this passage has for us on offer. So there are a few warnings mixed in here in this chapter in Hebrews. Um, Up until this point in the book, we've spent about five chapters where the writer takes us on this amazing journey of considering Jesus in all his manifold depths, right? Fully God, yet fully human on the one hand. Our great high priest, right? These are some of these big ideas and phrases that the writer's helping us to think about. And the writer specifically is writing to a, a particular community, a particular church, and saying, here's what you need to know you need to consider when you consider Jesus. And so here, again, we've got another transition point, a little pause. Something needs to be said to the community to kind of set them straight. Just before this, in verse 10, the author is talking about how Jesus is a priest of the order of Melchizedek. So for those of you who maybe don't, can't immediately remember in your mind who is Melchizedek, well, Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14 and is talking about someone who was a follower of God but outside of the nation of Israel. And then this is where the pa- that pause comes in because the writer's just about to talk about how Jesus is his priest of the order of Melchizedek And he's saying, hold on, wait a minute. That's maybe not super easy to follow. Oh, wait, that reminds me. Community to whom this letter is written. We need a little, we have a little pep talk we need to give here, right? And here's what this looks like. Looking at verse 12. These people ought to have been teachers at this point. That's what he says directly, right? He says, this, this isn't new stuff for you, right? You should know these things. But these ought to have been teachers. They actually need teachers themselves. He says they've been, become dull of hearing, right? They're not hearing the, what the, all this stuff actually means. They don't know the basics of faith. And what, is, what does the author then go on to say? They are children of the faith, not mature adults, They aren't ready to handle food with different textures and flavors about the beauty of God. They can only handle the basic nutrients, right? The spiritual milk. 
And from there, the beginning of chapter 6, it actually lists six different areas of basic construction that they might need some review in. Let's, let's go ahead and list them out. Number one, repentance from, from former, what does it say, from dead works. Number two, a faith that turns towards God. Number three, instructions and in washing, or you can see in the footnote in your Bible, not just washing in a general sense, but in particular, baptism, right? This initiation into the faith. Number four, laying on of hands. I read that as confirmation, right? Laying on of hands, a special prayer of blessing. Number five, resurrection of the dead. And number six, the sense of final judgment, right? Saying, we need to start here. If you don't have these things straight, you're not going to be able to understand what we're talking about when we're comparing Jesus to Melchizedek. And I think at this point, what I want us to be clear about, and this has been, this has been born out of me thinking through this process of confirmation with our students, I want to be clear about this. Knowledge in and of itself is not a marker of maturity, right? Knowledge helps. There are very clearly, we're seeing the author saying, there are some basic things you need to know as you're starting to consider Jesus. But we can't just end there, right? And I think this is perhaps maybe where this analogy breaks down a little bit between human maturity from a physical aspect and spiritual maturity, right? Human maturity in some ways is a given. We learn, we grow. Yes, we are taught things. Yes, we have to enter into seasons of learning. And a lot of times, right, that learning, it is what it is. But from a spiritual aspect, we shouldn't always assume that someone who is of a particular age is necessarily mature in a particular way. I think maybe all of us can think of examples of some Christians who are maybe new in their faith, they don't have a lot of years. Maybe it's weeks or months. But in that process of considering Jesus, right, the Holy Spirit has caught fire in their lives. And the way that they live, the way that they speak, maybe even there is some knowledge in there as well, right? You can see Jesus in how they conduct themselves. They've got a maturity that that is greater than how long they've been following Jesus. But on the same token, I'm thinking about even a passage from a book that we read about a year ago, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The author, who happens to be a pastor, he remarked about how even as a pastor, he felt like he had been a one-year-old Christian for 20 years until he had some significant spiritual breakthroughs in his lives, right? He hadn't pushed through that mark of maturity, even as a pastor, right? He had been a one-year-old Christian for, he said, for 20-odd years. And I mention that because, yes, there are basic things that we are covering in this confirmation class. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer. These are all classic ways of studying the faith. But something I've been really convicted about as I've been thinking and praying about how does this process work for our students is if I want to see them reach this kind of maturity that the author is talking about, just them being able to tell me, oh, there are two natures to Christ. He is fully God and fully human. Yeah, we need to know that, but why does that matter, right? 
that matters because that shapes the way that we pray. That's the, the, the big picture part of why those two natures in Christ are important, right? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in a resurrected human body, fully God, fully human, and interceding on our behalf. That's why our prayers are efficacious, not because we've said the right words, but because Jesus, fully God, fully human, is praying there alongside of us, pleading on our behalf. That's why some of these doctrinal formulations matter. And when we know that, right, it maybe changes the way that we approach prayer ourselves. I think another way we can think about spiritual formation or spiritual maturity that maybe isn't helpful is we can think about it solely in individualistic terms, right? We think about the time we spend on our own with God. Is that important? Absolutely. Please read your Bible on your own. Please pray on your own. Please spend some time in in solitude and silence seeking the Lord. But if that's all we're doing, and especially, right, if this individualistic quest is separated from our life in community, we aren't actually reaching maturity. We're maybe gaining some more knowledge, perhaps, but that knowledge, right, is always being designed by God to be lived out. Christianity, right, it's not a set of propositions about how the, the universe works. It's a life that's supposed to be meant and is meant to live to follow Jesus, right? It always happens in the context of relationships. I actually think that that's how we know that we're becoming mature is when we look at our relationships, the way we relate to God and we relate to one another. Those things mark our maturity. So going back to the potty training thing, here's how I've seen in my own life that I still have some maturity to work on spiritually. I know a lot of facts about Jesus and about the Bible, right? Knowledge, it's there. But in this process of potty training, I've had my patience tested. And that seems like maybe a silly example, right? But if I can't convey Jesus' love to my daughter while we're trying to teach her how to potty training, what does it matter if I know all the, if I know the Chalcedonian formula, if you know what even that means, right? Are, are, we, are we catching how this works, right? If I can't illustrate through my, through my character, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus' character looks like, then maybe I'm not as mature as I've thought myself to be, right? And this is, this, I'm seeing this in all areas of my life as a parent. Something besides potty training getting out the door, putting on shoes. It's a process. We live on the third floor apartment. It takes us a long time to get down to the car. And so, you know, I'm watching my daughter struggle and struggle and struggle to put one shoes on the wrong foot. The other one's like halfway in. The sock is like halfway falling off. It's a mess, right? And so what do I do? I'm trying to speed this process up. Can daddy help you? And this is her response nearly every time. No, AJ, help. She wants to help herself. AJ, help. And it frustrates me because I'm trying to get out the door, right? But the question I've been asking myself is, am I short-circuiting her process to maturity, right? What's happening here? She wants to do it. 
And I'm the one who's valuing other things rather than her learning how to do that. And again, my own impatience and all of these other things come up because, right, I think one of the ways we see over and over and over again in Scripture that someone's maturity is marked is by the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things, right? The list goes on and on and on. So it's never just a, a, a theoretical understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, right? If this isn't lived out in our lives, and so the way I've been thinking about this passage instead, and part of what I've been wanting to equip for our students is, say, is to be able to say, every relationship you are in can be a lesson in maturity, spiritually, right? The way you treat people matters. The way you treat your family, the way you treat the people in your classes at school, or the people that you work with, or the people you pass on the street, those are all places where you can practice maturity. Because, right, doesn't the author say that? This is a over and over and over, right? Practice. You don't just do practice once. It's a continual thing of learning how to distinguish good from evil. And so, in closing, I want to look at the last two verses in this passage. Chapter 6, 11, and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's not be sluggish, right? Let, this week, let's consider maturity in big ways and in small ways. I think it's very possible that for some of us, as we're considering maturity, maybe there is a knowledge component that we do need to consider. But I think more often than not, myself included, the knowledge isn't what's the issue, it's the practice. So let's consider that in big ways and in small ways. I think if we even prayerfully say, Lord, lead me in your paths of righteousness of maturity. We might even approach the seemingly innocuous situations we run into each day, and we can actually see there are opportunities to meet God right here and right now. And maybe it's not this amazing, you know, light shining experience, but that's the journey of maturity that I think the Lord has on offer for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.